Hi, my name is Paul. I'm currently a second year student music composer at LaSalle, an art school in Singapore. I initially began my studies as a business student, but changed course to pursue my interest in music. I currently have one year left before I graduate, and I've recently been thinking like, what am I going to do after I graduate to earn a living? I've personally been interested in scoring for the film and TV shows that we all love. But the catch is that these industries are pretty small in Singapore. When you watch a film, music helps convey the emotions of the scene. But more often than not, especially in smaller films, why would you bother to hire a composer for a few thousand dollars to score that film? if you can simply purchase library music for five bucks. So with these limitations, without us, young composers, having the opportunity to make a living, to hone a craft and eventually climb the ladder in the future, who is going to score the music to the favorite film you love? Where does that leave us as aspiring composers? And where does that leave all of us who love watching great film and TV? On this episode of Everything Explored, we explore that fundamental question. So what exactly is film scoring? Just to give some context, film scoring consists of original music that's been specifically written to accompany a film, where it supports and enhances the scene or characters. I like to see it in a way that we are poets of music, where we get to tell stories with the use of music. Through the process of film scoring, very often, we would highlight the emotions in music to set the mood or theme to the film. That's film scoring. And that explanation probably makes it sound a lot simpler than what it really is. In real terms, composers need to help a director reimagine a scene, a conversation, a painful goodbye between characters in musical form. Easier said than done. And I've been speaking with several well-established local composers to get a better idea of the situation. Hi, I'm, I'm Tabitha. Uh, thanks for having me on this uh, podcast. And I'm a composer and producer uh, at Neuville Studios. Um, I set up this company in about 2017. So that's been like four years of four like years. A gr the grind. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Hi, um, my name is Su Hao. And... I'm a music composer and producer, and I mainly work in the domain, uh, writing music for film and all sorts of visual media or even games, soundtracks. Uh, and one of my latest gigs was um, being the music director for Chingay 2022, and that was really exciting. And I've scored a um, number of feature films in Singapore, uh, some TV series. Um, one of my latest feature uh, documentary would be Andre and His Olive Tree, which is available on Netflix. And I also work... Um, on HBO Asia's uh, Invisible Stories, which is a really nice drama about the underbelly of you know, Singapore. Hi everyone, uh, my name is uh, Alex O. I'm a composer for film and TV, and uh, thank you for having me here. Oh, cool, okay. So, for professional composers based in Singapore, what's the situation like? So, like writing music for film and TV, um, most of the time we're working with a visual narrative so we have to write music that supports the story or the image so i think at the end of the day that's what we're trying to do 
and achieve with music composition. Sort of like telling stories through the language of music. What is the role of the music in the scene? Whether is it aggressive or, you know, um, appropriate in a way that it serves uh, the energy level of that scene? In film scoring, there's usually a process that we would do as composers. The first task will be to talk to the director and to try to understand the vision. Next, we read the script or the visual storyboard to get a feel of the characters or scenes. Then, we create what's called temporary music, which in real terms is about 10% of the actual composition work. The main goal of it is to enable the director to get a feel of the composer's creative direction and to be inspired for any scene changes. Different composers work differently. I personally prefer to just use a piano to draft ideas, but there are also others who would prefer to use virtual instruments to create a mock-up. Next, we move on to the post-production phase. Once all the film timings and scenes are fixed, we do the other 90% of the actual compositional work. The arrangements, instrumentations, fine-tuning of virtual instrument mock-ups, or even on bigger film productions, the recording of live instruments or a live orchestra. Once that's all done, we fine-tune and mix for the film itself. And voila! It's got. Sounds like a pretty complex process, right? There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to score a film. And honestly, what we do can be both costly and very time-consuming. It could take anywhere from days to months to complete a film score, depending on the scope of the film itself. So, what is that worth? In Singapore, we have a small film industry, which unfortunately leads to small budgets, which forces film producers to economize, or to put it bluntly, to cut corners where they can. And the best place to cut corners is often on hiring creatives, such as the music and composition. As a film producer, would you rather spend thousands of dollars on composition fees or five bucks on stock music? In Sir Hao's opinion, if you think about it, the average Singapore film is 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 made on less than a million dollars. In fact, a lot of them, a lot of indie films are made with like less than $500,000 even. So sometimes the production quality can't match up. It's a painful realisation, but if I see it from the filmmaker's perspective, I'm starting to feel that my career might not be too viable. So how viable is it? And according to Tabitha, There are not a lot of requests for pure composition, which is why I'm like super heavy into like more the production and artist side. It's just the the number of requests is low and the remuneration is very low as well. Okay, our film industry is still growing and developing. Um, we are not as matured as... Uh, uh, of course, you know, Hollywood or even Bollywood for that matter. Again, they have a lot of systems in place. We are not that compensated that fairly. Given that harsh reality, what is an aspiring composer to do? I've been talking to a lot of Singapore-based composers recently and it seems there's two approaches to doing things. Either to diversify or venture overseas. 
In the case of Tabitha, Alex and Suhao, they've all diversified. Initially, when I wanted to do more just pure composition, pure orchestration, uh, like work, uh, I found that actually there weren't a lot of um, there weren't a lot of filmmakers hiring out there. Like if you look at the Singapore industry itself, our film industry is really small. Our indie filmmakers also still very small, and budgets are even smaller. So for me, it wasn't very sustainable to like dive completely into that which is why I wanted I, I, I quickly shifted over to, to maybe the more commercial side of things just to make sure that you know I have m- money to survive For Su Hao's case on the other hand he's been able to find opportunities overseas One of the projects I've been working on is on this mobile game for 10 cents it's called Honor of Kings I think it's a it's pretty much like a mobile League of Legends for the Chinese market, and it's apparently one of the biggest like mobile games there. Now, the video game industry is worth an estimated $201 billion. But for someone new to the industry like me, simply saying I'm just going to get into composing music for the video games isn't exactly a career plan. I have a recording studio, you know, so that is another source of income. I am still doing like music production, um, sometimes voiceovers, you know, so recording or mixing. Interestingly, all composers I spoke to have had to reimagine their careers in music in order to make a good living, which also proves the point that as a composer, film scoring, at least in Singapore, is probably not a viable option. It's tough, and in order to survive, you need to diversify and search out for opportunities overseas. Now in many industries, people can often create their own unique side hustles, leveraging on their existing professional skills to open up to new avenues to earn income. Importantly, without actually compromising their ability to earn money during the main gig. For instance, an aspiring author could do freelance journalism or copywriting for social media. A graphic designer could take on a side gig designing a company's logo or the UI for its website. They have options. But what if a chief job qualification is composing music? Somewhat counterintuitively, the side hustle for many composers is composing music for stock music websites, which, when you think about it, it may be fueling the problem. If people can buy a $5 stock music track that I've written, simply put, why would they pay me thousands of dollars to compose custom music instead? Admittedly, that's greatly oversimplifying many factors, such as the composer's needs to be able to eat, or it could also be a great way to get your music to a wide audience. But at its core, that's the contradiction facing many young composers. So what is stock music? Or to put it more accurately, what is a sample library versus a track done by session musicians. I have I have had the like uh privilege and fortune to travel. I track a lot with the Budapest Scoring Orchestra and it's actually pretty inexpensive to record like an orchestra today. Like for a half hour slot it um you can record about three to four minutes of music. Um it costs something like a thousand ish US dollars for that half hour slot and it's a like 60 piece orchestra so like if I have to record an orchestra uh, 
I wouldn't record it in Singapore actually because we don't have a culture of scoring orchestras, not like the West. Like in LA, in UK, um, in Europe, there are a lot of like scoring orchestras. So these musicians, um, they come together. Uh, they are like a professional orchestra. They read your music on the spot. There is no rehearsal, and they record your music to like usually a really professional standard. Like on the first or second or third read, you can usually use those as like a, a good take. According to Sihao, he spends a thousand three hundred US dollars to hire a sixty-piece orchestra in Budapest for a thirty-minute session. Within this thirty-minute session, minus rehearsals and any creative changes on the spot, you can get a three to four-minute piece done and recorded properly. Obviously, a thousand dollars isn't an insignificant amount of money, but it's also a lot less than what most people would expect. On the other hand, you could also use something called a sample library. A good sample library is basically a virtual instrument that allows you to compose and replicate the sounds of real-life instruments. For example, a violin or a piano, but as realistically as possible using software and samples. A good sample library typically costs five hundred to a thousand US dollars for a perpetual license, and according to Sihao. Sample libraries in today's world is has reached this level where sometimes you can't even differentiate between like what's what's real or not. So in a sense, live musicians are a nice to have, but sample libraries are an equally good option as well. That's what sample libraries are. They are basically like cheaper options of like hiring real musicians. Spitfire audio, orchestral tools, cine samples, etc. Native instruments. They they produce like. Virtual instruments on such a high level, so so if you have the actual technical know how and the the music chops to to write music, um, most often than not, you can actually write pretty impressive music to for your portfolio, which you might not have to hire, uh, live musicians. But on the flip side, the use of live session musicians still has its place. But then again, it's like my sample library can't do what Kailin Yong can do. Kailin is an amazing violinist. Like if you never heard of him, please go check him out. He's amazing, amazing uh, violinist. Definitely, if you can use live musicians, it will always add add the extra depth of dimension, the extra expression. I'm not gonna be able to replace like like um, you know Bomb Bomb. Uh, my good friend, he's a drummer. Like he his pocket is like you can't replicate it. It's good. You know, you're not going to be able to use an instrument and play and have his pocket. You know. So while they cost money to hire, having live musicians is useful, creatively speaking, especially to bring out the details and real-life human expression of the music. But who's writing that music? I don't need to know how to play a violin, to use software to create a violin piece, but someone still needs to compose the music. Surprisingly, besides the musicians and software, it's also not as crazy expensive to hire a composer in Singapore. According to Alex, he usually charges ten percent of a film budget. For example, for a hundred thousand dollar film budget, ten thousand dollars would go to composition fees for good music composed by a good composer. But even that isn't a hard and fast rule of thumb. And when you're competing against options like stock music. Composers often have to compromise between wanting to get the job and really charging what they feel they're worth. I use the percentage as a gauge. I have to take into consideration how much work 
uh, is there for me? You know, do I spend like two months or three months on it? You know, if I am doing that amount of work and then for perhaps, you know, a small uh, amount, then it doesn't make sense. I'll be honest, looking at a future career ahead for me, I personally think that 10% is an affordable rate and it isn't crazy expensive for local film producers to hire me as a composer, considering the amount of time and work that we have to put in. But that's from the perspective of an aspiring young composer. From the perspective of a film producer, my 10% versus $5 of stock music could seem very different. Where does this leave me? I did a straw poll of my classmates and I asked them this. If you have to pick one or the other, what's the most important reason you got into composition? A. To express yourself creatively or B. Just to make a living. All of my peers, 100% of them, said they were in it for the creative side of the arts, over wanting to make a living out of it. And that's a scary number to me. If I'm the only one thinking about my future finances, it goes to show that for a lot of us as creatives, we hurt ourselves. We don't really think about the future consequences, financially speaking. It really pains me. How are we going to command a value for our work? if making a viable living isn't one of our top priorities? The honest answer is, I don't know. I'm still searching for the answers. I don't have them. This is a complex question. What exactly is creativity worth? Which kind of brings me back to where I started. Before I was an aspiring composer, I initially started business because I was trying to be practical in life but I really wanted to chase my passions. I wanted to be fulfilled, so I made a switch to study music. Now that I'm about to get a career in music, my passion is forcing me to think about the business side of music again. How am I going to make this book? Well, one of the best, or maybe only ways to potentially answer that question is by following the advice of the verified few young composers in my field who've been able to succeed in what Let's face it, it's a tough marketplace. When you actually go out and work in the industry, as a person who's taken like a composition degree, you might find yourself with this strange, uh, in this strange land of like, uh, you know, I'm not actually writing for strings anymore, or like I'm not like composing like uh, tw- 11 piece, uh, 20 piece, 40 piece uh, part instrument works. You know, you're actually like, writing for people uh, in the like more electronic sphere or like in a very condensed form. Yeah, so the techniques are a little bit different, but you know, I want to reiterate that it's still composition and you just have to like adapt to the, the industry and the, you know, what people want. Or as Suhao puts it, you need to constantly remind yourself of the need to diversify. So like don't just limit yourself to a certain box. Like, because if, if you tell yourself like, I only want to score music for animation, Chances are, if you're gonna stay in Singapore, that's that's not the the smartest thing because it'll be very limited jobs or work you can find if you just want to write like really like orchestral music for animation. So so I think it's it's to really broaden that horizon a bit. In the case of Sihao and Tabitha, they have been in this industry for years, and so if I took them as a role model for my own career, then in ten years time, 
what would success look like to me? I want to be able to work and survive as a full-time composer in Singapore. And that will require me to diversify what I do as a composer and musician, to dive into things like music production or pop, or to find different projects and opportunities elsewhere, overseas. So where does this leave me? Honestly, I don't know. If you ask me now, I would say that I'm 51% optimistic because I'm going to have to work my ass off to make this work, to network with people, to keep doing jobs, and to hopefully improve and grow as a composer. George Lucas famously once said that sound is half the experience. When he considers music and sound as essential to the full cinematic experience of the audience. I'm 51% optimistic I'll be able to make this book, so I guess I'm already halfway there. Not to make a bad pun, but we'll end on that note. I'm Paul Ng, and thanks for joining me for this important and admittedly anxiety-inducing exploration into how much we value original music composition. Visit us online at campus.sg to read about this and more. And tune in again next episode for more on the things that matter around us. Until then, bye for now.